DW. I'll work with all kinds of bats, but I specialise with grey-headed fruit bats. I can't talk. I mostly work with adult males because they smell a little bit. I think they smell delightful because they just smell like adult male bats, but other people don't like it. It's getting dark and I'm in the Sydney suburb of Lewisham to meet flying fox carer Storm Stanford and three of the tiny flying fox pups she's caring for in their own bat bedroom. Come here, darling, huh? Yeah, come here. This little girl, she came in after her mum got killed on power lines. So she is, um, she's undersized. Again, she got burns, burns and that's, that's all resolved now, but she's not quite growing yet. She's dead handsome, but you need to grow more. Here, at Storm's apartment, three grey-headed flying foxes hang upside down from ropes strung across the room. They want breakfast. Two are orphans, their mothers were electrocuted by power lines, a sad fate for many flying foxes who face the dangers of cities. But due to deforestation and drought, the animals are coming to forage increasingly in cities. And they're not welcome refugees. People are scared of catching diseases, despite the Department of Health stating that if you don't touch them, you won't get sick. Some local governments blast them with noise from speakers to get rid of them and cut down the trees in camps in what they call dispersal. Camps have been likened to motels, where flying foxes from different families come to stay a night or a week, moving on to find food. The noises they make during the day when they're chattering in the camp, and that can be difficult for people who, who find them irritating because they, they generally like to hang around in groups of several thousand or more. Then there's the fact that when they're breeding, <laughs> this is really good, the boys, to tell everyone how great they are, stand around and shout and go, come on over here, girls, come to me. And they do that at 80 decibels at 3 o'clock in the morning. But the flying foxes often come into cities because they have nowhere else to go. So much of their actual food sources, foraging areas have been cut down and so they're centralising in, in towns. The... Downside for that is that there's the urban heat effect and so animals in town can be more vulnerable to uh, heat stress. They can cope until it gets to about 42 degrees. Now, in Europe, 42 degrees probably sounds terrific, but of course in Australia that's not unnormal. In Australia, tens of thousands of flying foxes died last summer as a result of heat stress from drought and fire and at least two species are considered vulnerable to extinction as a result. Keeping cool in the heat is difficult for these animals. As it's hot during the day when they're in a deep sleep, this causes them stress. In order to cool themselves down, they don't sweat. They pant like a dog, but they don't have any sweat glands. And so what they'll do is they will they'll wave their arm in the whatever little breeze there is. Of course, in a very dry area, what that means is that the animals dehydrate really quickly. So what's the solution to helping these critters survive in the increasing heat? I want to learn more about saving flying foxes, so I'm on my way to meet a bat researcher, John Martin, research scientist at Taronga Conservation Society. We meet at Manly Beach overlooking Sydney Harbour, where flying foxes come at night to eat the figs from the old trees. Like Stanford, John Martin is worried about their future. The extreme fires of 2019-2020 removed huge areas that the flying foxes rely on for foraging. Removing that food source means that those animals have to go and forage in other locations. Some councils are introducing water sprinklers to cool the flying fox camps down on hot days. 
But human interventions often have unintended side effects. The simple answer here is we can't say it definitely works in all situations because humidity is a killer. Martin's research also shows we need flying foxes for our forests to stay healthy. In fact, whole ecosystems depend on them. They are pollinators and seed dispersers and they are fundamental for forest health because they're the only species that flies those longer distances, and we're talking hundreds of kilometres, in a night and even beyond that, over a short period like a week or a month, they can move up to a couple of thousand kilometres. And in a fragmented landscape where urban areas and farms have made forests separated, then bats are actually the only animal that connects those habitats. The flying foxes are pollinating these major woody trees that we see, so the gum trees, the banksias, the melaleucas, that supports thousands of other species because of this important pollination effect. These flying fox pollinators make up four distinct species on the mainland of Australia, with three other species existing on the offshore islands of Australia, including the vulnerable Christmas Island flying fox. There are estimated to be less than 2,000. To find out what else can be done to help these vulnerable animals, I meet Justin Wellbergen, Associate Professor at the Hawkesbury Institute for the Environment at Western Sydney University and President of the Australasian Bat Society in Sydney, whose team is rehabilitating areas of forest and understory on the mainland and also on Christmas Island, 1,500 kilometres northwest of Australia near Java in Indonesia. His team has also devised an algorithm to help wildlife carers and conservationists know where and when flying foxes are going to be in trouble next. I've been studying flying foxes for over 20 years. Now, they are such fascinating animals. They have this remarkable mobility and they, they live in these large social groups with very complex patterns of social organisation. And as part of our research, we're trying to find solutions. One of the things we've done, for example, is develop this Flying Fox Heat Stress Forecaster. It's an online forecaster that allows Flying Fox carers, but also other stakeholders, to predict in advance where extreme heat events are most likely to occur and where Flying Foxes are most in need of help. And this then enables those stakeholders to marshal their resources and direct them to the right places at the right times. Most of all, to save flying foxes, we just have to keep our tall trees, Wellbergen urges. But long term, is there hope for their survival? Now, it depends on, on the species, how gloomy I am about their long-term prospects. So for the spectacled flying fox who lives in, the far, in far north Queensland, um, there was one single extreme heat event in November 2018 that wiped out, by fairly accurate estimates, about one-third of the entire Australian population. And so there was just one sort of single event in the context of climate change We're expecting these events to occur more frequently. So that creates a lot of uncertainty and concern around the future of this already endangered species. Wellbergen's research shows how flying foxes provide a disturbing window into the future of Australia's biodiversity in a heating climate. For unless we start leaving some of our country wild, these important pollinators can't keep looking after our vast country's forests. 
We need these bats for our forests to survive. Fortunately, these flying foxes have a small but extremely dedicated group of scientists and carers advocating for their survival. For DW, I'm Georgina Kenyon in Sydney, Australia. DW. 